And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey everybody, welcome to Do You Like Prince Movies? I am Alex Papadimus. I am Wesley Morris, and thank you for joining us. And thank you, Mark Lasanti, for joining us too. Hey, I'm Mark Lasanti. Mark Lasanti in the building of Grantland.com, in case that's not clear. www.grantland.com. You need to give that out. ESPN.go.com forward slash. Point your web browser. Log on to the Go network. So over here in 2015, I am here to tell you that uh, we're going to talk about the Entourage movie, which is why we invited Mark. And he's going to stick around. We're going to talk about the film results and John Cusack and Paul Dano. Um, tag teaming to pray, to play Brian Wilson in Love and Mercy. Um, but first, we're going to have to apologize to everybody because we know we promised, and we've been promising for the better part of a month that we're going to talk about um, the sellout. Uh, I'm Paul incapable Beatty's. of finishing a book. That's basically the story here. Look, uh, well, look, Alex. I finished all so we many books do, in the time we were that I was supposed only to be reading this book. Going to apologize. <laughs> we were not going to explain why. People don't care, but if you want to explain why we're pushing the book off another week, be my guest. You either deliver but, the goods or you do not. I, I do I not is, 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 is the answer to that question. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't uh, read anymore. That's, that's what's happening. It's, I've read the first hundred pages of it, and I did propose a segment in which we talk about a book that I've read the first hundred pages of and really enjoyed because it's, it's great. It's really good. You need to finish I know. the whole book. I know. And so I am fine with holding off another week or until you're ready. Uh, it's not, it's not, it's no rush for me. Um, and don't forget if, if you listen to this show and you have feelings about it to say something on the Facebook page, please. Or, um, in iTunes, cause I don't even know. Actually, this is saying it's not terrible. I don't know if we have a Facebook page. Yeah, we've uh, been but saying I know, that as if there is one. And there, I, don't, I, the, the, you I go. know you can leave a comment in iTunes, so please do. Say it in whatever venue you feel like saying it. I mean, if there's Skywrite a, it. Lo, you know, like a local, a community center kind of meeting you could stand up at and just talk Put about it. Put it in a Twitter, love song. guys. You both have Twitter accounts. Yeah, Yeah, I but guess. Twitter, you know, there's no... Yeah, I mean, I appreciate... I, trust me, we get plenty of constructive criticism in Twitter. Also, speaking of which... I at least need to make an apology for last week when I did not credit properly um, that that commercial that <laughs> where I couldn't I apparently couldn't read enough to determine that it was in it was Lacoste. But it doesn't matter whether or not I can tell. The fact of the matter is when I went to talk about this thing, uh, this commercial, uh, I didn't know what the commercial was for because either I was so distracted by um, the the actual. Uh, the commercial itself or because I can't, I can't pay attention. But the truth is um, that I just, I didn't care. But anyway, I did not mention that, 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 that version of that song is by, is a remix by flume. So people were, <laughs> I don't know, Alex, if you were in on any of that, but people were very upset. They wanted me to, to acknowledge that disclosure, that disclosure song was um, remixed by flume. Don't, don't piss off the flume heads. They're really I, intense fan, fan I, base. I I take it all back and learned that brings us to your um, what I guess is going to be an ongoing summer jam conversation. You have a new entry. 
Last week we, last week our first entry was was the uh, Fast and Furious, the 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 unofficial Paul Walker song, um, that I don't even want in my brain anymore, but I can't escape it because it is still pouring out of car windows. This song, Your Candidate, I have not heard at all this summer, except you know in my own choice to listen to it. Yeah, this was uh, the the uh, Jamie XX featuring Young Thug song from the new Jamie XX album. Uh, it is called, uh, uh, what is it called? It's called There's Gonna Be Good Times. Maybe just Good Times, perhaps. Has that persuasion sample at the beginning. It is Jamie XX making a song basically that he wanted to get onto Hot 97 with. Uh, and you can kind of hear it. I don't know that it's. I don't know that it, that has happened. I don't think Hot ninety seven is biting. I mean, I haven't listened to twenty four hours straight of Hot ninety seven, but I have yet to hear that song. Hot ninety seven is basically. I I hear Hot ninety seven by just sitting in my living room. Um, that's how I know what's on Hot ninety seven. Uh, yeah. Why don't we? We why don't we drop it for a second? Um, there we go. Good there's gonna be good Apparently he did not uh, There was some question of whether they cleared this With the persuasions There's gonna be good Work every day till we meet Half it on it up on the weekends Boss a toast to your real friend Then why you're drinking I know There you go I like this song I'm a huge Young Thug fan, so I was really excited about this. And I'm a casual Jamie XX fan, and a huge. I am. A, that is exactly the thing for me. I am a casual Jamie XX fan. Mark, how do you, where do you stand on this? On the 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 new Jamie XX album, particularly, I, I found it a Came little too chill week. for the mood I was in when I was uh, <laughs> queuing it up on Spotify. <laughs> it was okay as background music for reading the entire internet as I do every day, right. but it, it was a, maybe a little bit too chilled. I could see that. I could see that. I, uh, you know, so you were going to get like in a fist fight or something, and you needed something a little more. When I'm reading the entire internet, I like music that's going to get my blood pumping. You know, I want to break some stuff. All right. Well, and then you know, Jamie XX is like, let's bring it down a notch. Let's yeah, read things he's, slowly. He's I was going to say this is this is. I mean, I'm hoping we get something that is a little more. You know, kick out the kick out the windows and the car doors and. And you know, dance in the streets because this this is the second week in a row where we've got like a sort of either a ballad as as was the case last week or like a mid tempo jam, um, and I am hoping that that is not the the vibe of the of the summer. It's we've we've got a few months to go, but usually, I mean, it's it's it has not happened that if we haven't gotten the song by by mid July that it it's already here. So it could be another kind of Mariah summer where like you know. We belong together. Is is it's that tempo jam? Although I would kill for that. Um, I will take I will take Jamie XX for now. But I'm I'm praying that we get something almost as there great. has been no turn down for what the, not what yet. has mm-hmm. not been turned down. This what summer. not has yeah that is has not been turned. We are waiting turned down. for the what to be turned down. Um, I should just say really quickly, it is a pleasure to begin a conversation with the two of you. You were two of my favorite writers. Um, I, I admire and love your brains, both of you. Alex, I take yours for granted because we talk so much. And Mark, I don't know. We're email buddies. We're more um, than that. Come on. Okay. We also have it's sort of an editor-writer relationship, too. 
We, we, we almost do. We almost do. We almost do. Um, we'll be right back to talk about Entourage. We were just talking about uh, one of the many things that's great about the Entourage movie is that it has it has even the opening credits. It has an opening credit sequence like a TV show. It has a cold open. It's a movie that has a cold open followed by... I think it has about a 95-minute cold open. <laughs> never, it never heats up. And then the last nine minutes are the actual movie. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, the, na- the last nine minutes where they wind up at the Golden Globes. Uh, spoiler alert! Come on, oh, not my even God. do the spoiler alert, you guys. You didn't even come on. Listen, uh, some people haven't seen the movie yet. There's so little. You wait through that whole movie. It is literally the one surprise in the movie, Wesley. It's the well. I mean, yeah, because it makes no <laughs> sense at all. I mean, look, I can't. I have a whole notepad here. Mark can see it. I have an entire reporter's notes pad, and I would say there's like. There's a lot of notes about Entourage, which is weird because there's nothing. There was nothing happened in that movie. You should see my my notepad from when I saw the screening to write my piece. It's about 45 <laughs> pages of in the dark scribbling of many unprintable. James Joyce. So this is proving Entourage. wrong. This the principle that like you can't get nothing from you can't get something from nothing. You guys got a lot from from virtually nothing. I hit me. Oh my gosh. I mean. I don't know. We so got the theme song. We have the theme. Yeah, we do. There you, was, you weren't going to go to the Entourage movie and not get the theme song and the, as we were talking about uh, off mic a few minutes ago, the the iconic Entourage names on crap, on, on famous crap montage that, that opens every episode. I mean, you get the, I mean, it was the best part of the movie, wasn't it? Just to, to watch everybody's names be emblazoned on various I landmarks liked of Hollywood. It was wound up. And it just kept yeah. going on and, and on, and then people in the screening eventually started laughing because it was about, it felt like it was 15 minutes long. You were like, oh, they're finally ha- ran out of names and or uh, iconic locations in Hollywood, but they did not. Dude. Well, yeah, because you find out also that that song is longer, you know? <laughs> yeah. like It's like one of those things, like, remember when they used to play the Cheers theme on the radio sometimes? And oh, you yeah. you would actually hear those additional verses of the Cheers theme that There's, were really disturbing. There might even be yeah. a second verse to the Rembrandt song from Friends. <laughs> exactly. Like it's additional. very disturbing. You're like, you're, you're plunged into a whole other universe when you hear the second song. The There's second a hand clap the solo song. in the Rembrandt song, actually. There's a, just a, <laughs> 90 seconds of straight up hand claps, that hand clapper. He's really, he's really good, whoever that was. And then you um, splash around in the fountain for a couple of verses. But yeah, no, it goes on forever. I believe uh, there was a moment uh, I, I paid close. I think, like, doesn't Doug Ellen get, like, separate title cards, too? I think for, like, for each of his, the hats he wears get their own. Yeah, each the, fedora of responsibility <laughs> gets its own icon. Uh, pork pie hat. I believe the pork the, pie of it, story it of story credit versus the screenplay pork pie, <laughs> the versus the, the, the trucker cap of directing. He did not get oh. the Hollywood sign though; that it was reserved for one of the other producers, I believe, or maybe even the coach. No, but he got those. Where are those? Like, is that LACMA? Yeah. Oh, the the the, the thing the the lampposts. The lampposts LACMA, is LACMA. LACMA yes. Chris Burton. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I. Okay. Um, okay. So I just want to let. Let's just begin this. 
whatever is about to happen. Now that we've tackled the opening credits. By I just this length. show was on HBO for eight seasons. Ninety six episodes. Ninety six episodes. Oh God. Many of which, as, as Mark pointed out, has been like not nominated for a staggering ninety six awards. None of which were Razzies because Razzies don't do TV. There, there was an assortment of surprisingly legit awards in, in that list. Uh, yes, they won many about of 13 whom... things, I think. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't all just Teen's Choice Awards. It was There was like PGA Awards and casting, whatever the casting association, the casties, the, uh, <laughs> the headshot. Uh, <laughs> what a cast, too. You know, and three, Piven won three Emmys for being the one good thing in that show. God. Oh, besides wait, so everything. this is the part the one good where thing I besides asked, everything that was good. Like, so, Mark, what is your relationship to this show? Oh, you have been entertaining us all for the last month with this, with this, with these, with this uh, countdown to the opening of the movie. Um, please explain. Um, I'm a human being that did ingest all 96 episodes of that program. Uh, Probably long past there was any genuine enjoyment in the experience. You know, you always try to find the little grace notes in every episode. But, you know, it was... It's probably not news to anyone that it was a little bit of a slog from seasons three and a half through eight. Uh, They tended to repeat the same stories over and over again and over again. and, And, you know... There were never any real stakes other than, oh, he might have to take a slightly worse movie for slightly less money. Until then, the offer from Scorsese would arrive just before the closing credits and save the day. So what what is it about? I mean, so the show is essentially the story of four guys who come to Oh, my to God. LA are you really because... explaining Entourage to people? No, I want to explain it to people because there are going to be people who have not seen okay, the show. Okay, I'm Like, sorry. look, look, I'm look. I'm a terrible if this guest. Were... I, I'm going to go. If when this show started and I saw the poster and I saw that what the show was, you know, you know, putatively about, I would not have watched this. And I don't I mean, I watched it because at that time there was a lot less TV on and HBO. It was it was during our golden age or new golden age of TV. And, you know, HBO was the gold standard of blah, 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 blah. And this was a half an hour show that I believe came on after Sex in the City. Am I correct about that? Sounds right. I feel like, yeah, I feel like there was a moment, which is just weird. It's a moment when the, I believe this was, wasn't, it was the Sopranos lead in, right? Or was it on at, was it on after? Wasn't was it on Sunday? Sopranos an eight o'clock or a nine o'clock show? I don't remember. I forget. I feel that like was it, a nine o'clock show. So it came so when I must have been city. Before. Although they do the, the sitcoms late now. But that not, was not previously. Maybe not that. No, yeah. The Sex in the City was on before. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah. So maybe it was the 830. Meet in the Sex in the City Tony Soprano sandwich, and I think maybe that has to do with partly has to do with why we were all watching. I don't know that you know necessarily because I watched it too. I don't. I don't think I watched it as to the end because I remember how I, we were talking about it the other day, and I had to ask you kind of how it you know how it ended, where we left yeah, off. I mean, in the continuity. So I just want to no, we were explaining. It's, it's there are people who, who haven't watched the show, right, and we this, should explain what it's about. There's this entourage. Can we just cue up right? the Piers Morgan package <laughs> from the movie that, that did this better than we ever could, because, starring yeah, Piers Morgan? They really did. Who no longer has a show. That's how much the world has changed <laughs> was, since they filmed this movie probably two weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. What show is that supposed to be? Is it supposed to be his CNN show? You know, that's show? the thing. It, it, it's... it's 
network list, right? I, I think it was written. I heard it was. Written I think he as, shot it on his own iPhone. Yeah, and put it out on Twitter. <laughs> it was written as Leslie Stahl, right? It was supposed to be uh, sixty minutes or something like because that would happen. Because this is the thing. This is the question. The first question. Wait, that, that was a joke, right? No, I think no. I, I heard he's, that. he's right. Oh, I was just going to say. Philosophically, it should have been that. Stylistically, it should have been that because Piers Morgan didn't do like a stand-up show. He does a desk show, and there wasn't any yes. desk in that. I it think was, it must have been written as you know. I think may, uh, here I'm going to say the maybe. entire universe is unraveling, guys. I don't I don't know, but I think this might be an example of lazy writing. I'm just going to say in this movie. I know I know that's a big accusation to make <laughs> about the <laughs> Doug Allen. Be careful, Doug who wrote who you the movie is going to be really upset with you. Doug Allen, who who spent a lot of time apparently trying to crack this story. How do I how do I break this open? Apparently, Mark Wahlberg had to cajole him over many months and years to get this script out of him. <laughs> oh, my did. God. So it basically, and I he think was he wrote like the an- entire thing while being dangled from the balcony of the standard by Mark. Wait, Wahlberg. this was written by Enema, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Wesley, how that dare explains you? so much. How dare you? There's your pull quote. How Producers of people putting together the for your consideration campaign for entourage uh, written by Enema, says Grantland. Um, yeah, so the first thing the first thing you see is them watching television, which is an exciting way to start off a movie. Or the first thing after the cold open, they're sitting down to smoke weed and watch TV, and they show you a Pierce Morgan special that explains to you what this what the, the the entire plot of Entourage as if there is any person in the world. I guess there are there must be like I don't know businessmen with some time well, to kill. Who I don't remember who, was, if it was you or someone else who pointed out to me. It was probably for the girlfriends of people, who, 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 the girlfriends who were dragged to the movie by the boyfriends. Don't the girlfriends understand how Entourage works, though? I mean, do you really have to like explain uh, like all of these things? They they were, were hoping they had some that dreams, people yeah. beyond the core audience were going to show up, and as it turned out, spoiler alert, they did not. No, because yeah, they were seen those... only by the <laughs> the staunchest of turtle heads. Well, treat me like a girlfriend. <laughs> Please. Wait, are we, we going to treat you like one of the entourage girlfriends? In which no, case we won't, we treat won't me like a woman a who deserves respect. <laughs> Please. There's, I don't know, how many of the female characters in this movie are seen doing reverse cowgirl? I think there's got to be. Like, <laughs> are there any who don't? I would have Hold to on. Go back. There was definitely some forward-facing <laughs> some regular cowgirl. Reverse, some, reverse cowgirl. Some, some forward-facing cowgirl. Yeah, I don't some think strong female characters doing regular cowgirl. Like, that's what, that's what's, so nothing. Okay, nothing yeah, okay, okay. okay. You guys, why does this movie exist? <laughs> Can we just like, just skip all the way ahead? Why did this happen? Of all of the things that if you're HBO films, you could have done. If you're Mark Wahlberg, why, like, okay, this movie based on what went on in my Twitter feed was desperately anticipated by some people. I sat next to a guy at a screening who every time one of the cameos came up, whether it was Rob Gronkowski or Warren Buffett or Jessica Alba or Kelsey Grammer, he would say, wow. (laughs) Just like that. He would go, wow. Oh my God. This is crazy, yo. This is crazy. And sometimes I don't even think he knew who the person Warren was. Buffett? They just seemed <laughs> the famous. Of he was like, "Yo, yo, yo! I know that dude. I know that dude." Warren, oh. do I get into the Vanguard Index Fund <laughs> or do I diversify? <laughs> so, I, so for those people, this movie obviously means something. I mean, they're like Look, every man, time Ari fans. spoke. 
Right, but I mean, every time Ari spoke, there'd be some like there'd be some wisdom that would be received in the audience from the part by the partisans. I just am trying to get a sense of the stronghold this show has on people, and is it like how is it different from something like the, that HBO show, uh, How to Get Ahead in America, or How to Make, how to make It in America? Like, um, what well, is that the show fundamental was about difference? Making jeans and no, Entourage we- was about making dreams. <laughs> Ooh. Wow. You know, there's more ambition there. Uh, look, it's for the fans. It's for the fans. Wait, with Entourage, there was more ambition? Well, I'm saying that the dreams were bigger than, than jeans okay. and, seems, and sweatshirts. They, they dreamed, they dreamed larger That's just factual for this statement, movie. Wesley. They didn't, by the way, they didn't dream larger. They dreamed exactly the same size. They did. They dreamed the same size <laughs> in the movie as they did in the, in the, the show. It's just minute a, a minute. dream longer. Dream, dream, dream for 96 Although, minutes. It, it's a slightly larger dream for... Vince to step out of his comfort zone and and be handed a hundred million dollar Jekyll and Hyde adaptation based on Wait, uh, was magical I not EDM. Hmm? Is that how much that movie costs? Is that well, how much? Said it about a hundred times. Cost? Yes, yeah. hundred. It was a hundred million dollars oh. and not a penny more because that was the entire plot. Was how do we get the final fourteen million dollars or whatever it was to complete Vince's vision? So it's one. It's one fourteen total. You think by it's the end the, it yeah, was at least asking for they, they were at one hundred. And he was like, "No, you can't have fourteen more million no. to make it." It's. Uh, I mean, I feel like yeah, we should. I feel like we should review Hyde. Honestly, I feel like that's. <laughs> how much of that do you think they shot? I find uh, Calvin Harris a subtle and powerful actor as he stands there in the middle of a uh, very ill-advised police riot in the middle of Vinny Chase's movie from mid twenty twelve. I do, yeah. Oh, that's the other thing. Yeah, the, the timeline. timeline. So that's, we, maybe we'll get to that later. Yeah. Well, know. he does anticipate. Yeah. There's some. There's some. Like. There's. I do believe that if there were a real Vinny Chase, he would put sort of borrowed Ferguson imagery in his superhero movie, and to think that was cool, and try to get away with it. Like you know, of, of the, the the guy throwing the uh, fire. It's what makes it art. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's what makes it. Well, wasn't the point of the? That's I why mean, he won those all those Golden Globes. It's not how it played out, but one imagines that maybe the good part of the Jekyll and Hyde. DJ combo hoped that the glowing super Molly would chill everyone out and they could avoid a confrontation, but it seemed to have the exact opposite effect in that 15 seconds we saw. Of Hyde. Well, it did oh, appear so though that did... all the, sorry, go on, Alex. I just had a I revelation about what the plot of Hyde probably was. I just figured it out <laughs> that he's distributing the Jekyll and Hyde formula among his his he disciples, did. it's he about hided them all out. Their Jekyll and Hyde. This is like, like uh, I wow. Okay, maybe this this you does deserve it wide open. <laughs> it's, that makes I, perfect sense. I got it. I feel like I feel like Doug Ellen figuring out. Oh, I don't have to try. That's like you know, just <laughs> I'll just do it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now I understand. Wait so, a minute. Wait a minute. Can you finish this thought? Okay. So here's the plot of Hyde. I think he is a DJ. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but he's uh, he discovers the Jekyll and Hyde formula, and then in a moment when he has to sort of uh, to defeat uh, the the fascist uh, police force or whatever that wants to stop the the raving from happening, uh, he uh, distributes the Jekyll and Hyde formula as a party drug to all of his uh, followers, and then they rise up. I think Mark's right. That's what Mark just like figured it out for me. I, I didn't actually figure it out, but I just this hey, sounds like a black exploitation movie where like he's the villain. And at some point, like the like the Anthony Mackie of this scenario is going to come along and like stop him from like hiding out all these kids. Yeah, no, you would think that. I mean, like, a, isn't he the bad guy in these movies? 
Look, I mean, also, have, like, I've been saying to people, like, it's just weird because we are to believe that this movie eventually becomes like a, like a serious kind of awards bait movie. It maybe doesn't win everything. You know, they um, did. We the kind of awards bait movie that makes Globes, $400 million worldwide, apparently. $400 million and a Golden Globe for Johnny Drama. I just, I love thinking about the conversations that happened behind the scenes about what was plausible for this. It's like $400 million. <laughs> Not, it's not, look, $500 million would be crazy, right? It's not. Hey, wait, the do they specify whether ever. it's four hundred international? International. I think that domestic? was. I think that was worldwide, all in. Yeah, so it could yeah. be entirely like you know, which is still uh, that's a nice return on your hundred million, hundred and fourteen million dollar movie. Even when you factor in P and E expenses, which double the the layout. Yeah, but we There's also could just be talking you. about that this movie was a huge hit in like. Ukraine, <laughs> exactly. And, but no, but he's nominated everywhere, for, all over the world. He's nominated for best director. So unless it's like a you know critical favorite in America, right. this conversation has to end. Look, <laughs> oh, can I, guys... can I throw in one thing? Hold on. <laughs> Do you know what the movie things. when they were leaking details of this, uh, which I followed with incredible amount of interest over the past year? Can still breathe. Uh, the thing, the story that they, the movie he was going to make was apparently a Dracula movie. And I need to know more about the Dracula movie over the Hyde. I don't know why they settled on Hyde and not Dracula. Maybe they Cause decided it's vampires untold. are just too big right now. No, it was Dracula yeah. Untold oh. came out probably. And they were like, oh, that's now, you know, yeah. life. They already ruined Aquaman for the world. Life moves too fast, man. That's the thing. Yeah, he got Momoa'd out of, uh, you know, out of Dracula Untold as well. I think it's interesting. Can I just ask, a lot of the reaction to this movie, obviously, you know, I think the core, the really sort of hardcore fans really liked it. Everybody else kind of hated it. it. Is it, was it more misogynistic than the show or have we just had, has, have things changed enough in the five years or the three years or whatever since the last time we checked in with these dudes? Have we evolved so much as a society that suddenly we're able to see this? Because I don't recall – I recall people not liking this show, but I don't recall people being really sort of upset by it in the way that they were upset. And I sort of watched this and I was like, oh, yeah, this is really misogynistic. Like it's actually – it might be worse. It almost seems like – it feels like you're watching the original Ocean's Eleven you know, or something like that where it's just suddenly the attitudes feel like just just Stone Age in terms of their you know treatment of uh, – you know, really humans, but specifically women. It does feel like the conversation around those kinds of issues has advanced a lot in the the four years or whatever it's been since the show, where you know we, we can we'll recognize it a lot faster now as just like uh, just terrible, terrible misogyny in this movie. I mean, it's 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 awful. I it was mean, always. I mean, it's the show's DNA. Yeah. It's the show's DNA, and that DNA carried through to the movie. And you know, when you you're the first, I don't know, was that the no. I'm thinking of the uh, the E lovemaking scene. Which, from which very one? Early on which of the, the nine the, different scenes in which the one, Kevin the first Connelly one, the sex. one that, that I think uh, takes place immediately following the super yacht, uh, which was populated almost entirely it. by topless ladies. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just find the movie. I mean, to even talk about this movie's politics is just an insult to politics. Like. I feel like it's a freestanding libidos in in male fantasy run amok scenario. I'm not absolving it. I'm not absolving it of its of its problems, but I also feel like I I mean I actually find it more interesting that like this is the sort of movie that a studio would allow to get made 
versus any number of other things. And to have and just to have on TV for that long, um, eight seasons, ninety six episodes of television. Kind of while not all these other things and peoples and stories and lives and 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 experiences that we haven't seen in that time, and then you know that's just a, a too depressing a thought to explore in any. Time. But I think it's well, the things that could have happened instead of this movie. <laughs> what well, could they no, have I done mean, with that thirty million dollars? Well, right, and so any, any mean, other movie, literally. But this is the question, right? Like, I mean, in, in when we like Amos Barshard, who writes with us. Uh, it two years ago wrote a story about about this movie maybe happening, and wondered like a why would you do this and b if you're going to do it why not like I mean give it to Gus Van Sant who hilariously enough just would have this is in his wheelhouse in terms of like what I actually think is wrong with him. You mean give the money to Gus Van Sant or give the Entourage movie to Gus Van Sant? I need. To, I think to you turn the me. boys over to Gus Van Sant. That's, and you, I mean, if you're even going to indulge these, let's just give them to A-holes. Lars von Trier, or Lars von Trier, and we'll make it for three hundred grand. Well, but it is no. I mean, you're getting at something real, which is like the, you know, obviously, yeah, of course, John Waters too. Like, like let's you know, just let's do it. But like, <laughs> there's something about like if you're gonna make the jump from movies from TV to movies. At least there should be some kind of jump in ambition. You should want to tell a different kind of story because it's a different medium. I don't know. This might be the laziest TV to movies transition we've ever seen. I mean, like, when you ask, like, why it lasts for 96 episodes on TV, it's because people like to see the same things on TV and it's comfortable. And, like, eventually you're just kind of like, you know, just it's Sunday. We're going to hang out with, you know, Vinny and E and the boys. You know, it's all good. And as we discussed, it's like on between things and you're like, it's just part of your life. You just sort of, it becomes habitual, you know, and you go back to it. But there should, I feel like there's a, they just, just the bar is so low or they've lowered the bar so much for like what, you know, like what, why make a movie? I feel like there was more of, I feel like the Sex in the City movie expanded on the Sex in oh, the City universe. it's not even universe. close between the two of these. Like that was an actual right. movie. I this was not a movie. One anyway. This was not a movie. It was a, it was an hour and 44 minute episode. Yeah, I mean, look, beat I, for beat, yeah. the same exact stories that were explored uh, with love. For, <laughs> really you know, for explored. I mean, ni- it's the ninety seventh episode, and it's the same as probably fifty five of the other episodes. Yeah, there's a few special ones in there, but they didn't even right. go to a different other than the super yacht, which may well have been just idling in the you know in the harbor or something off of Los Angeles. They did not leave. L.A. for this movie. No, they they parked it at the little next door, which is the cafe where he is for anyone who saw the movies listening. It's the cafe where he is confronted by the two women. He uh, cowgirled. Oh, my God. In various, you know, arrangements. One of yeah, it's one of many <sighs> scenarios in which it's a everything is messed up. Yeah, there's a problem. There's no problem. Hey, like that's the that's the plot of every he, episode. He was made to Montrose. feel bad about himself for up to 15 seconds in that scene. That was close. I you almost know? felt a thing. <laughs> my actions. He, he got a second pregnancy scare. He got an STD scare, and then they took those away from him immediately because you know he had suffered enough. And that every was really year, the way the show always worked. So kudos to, to them for being consistent. 
I'm just going to throw this out there as a kind of movie that I always wonder about whether or not we make. And I know we do, but I can never really pinpoint exactly what it is. But every time I go to France, there's a poster for some movie starring a bunch of people that I have never heard of before that is apparently number one or number two at the box office that has some crazy poster and it's a bunch of guys just being crazy. And I always wonder, like, this is a thing over here. Like, people love whoever these people are. And this movie, Entourage, is the American version of that. Where it's just like... Entourage. A- <laughs> I think we're ignoring the crucial French market for this now. Uh, well, I maybe mean, not. I guess you're getting who to can that. say. Anyway, um, we should we we're, we should move on. But I just I'm I'm glad you came here to discuss this. I do want to ask one question, given all the cameos in this movie. When do they work? And like, why do the ones in do, do the does this do the cameos in this movie make it better? Do they make it cheaper? Um, in terms of its quality, do they seem more desperate? Do they, does it make it more entertaining when like people like Rob Gronkowski and you know any of the other people who show up in this movie show up? I mean, does Debbie Mazar count as a cameo? She was on the show, but she's, she's not a cameo. Like, she's a character. Yeah, she's, she's in the universe. Sure. Yeah, she's in she's universe. In universe. It's yeah. But Plus, I don't think Debbie no... Mazar's appearance in anything counts as a cameo. Well, no, is. of course not. Not in my heart. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like she's treated like a walk on. She's Shauna. Yeah. She's a very special part. No, she's, no, no Scott Kahn, though. She's the sixth though. boy. No Scott Kahn because he was busy, uh, I believe, filming the Hawaii Five O in Hawaii, and they did not shoot this anywhere near Hawaii, so he just got left out on the fun because the movie was shot over a period of 18 hours. <laughs> Which make. is just too bad because he is the entourage's person perhaps in Hollywood. I mean, how the show wasn't – how he wasn't the star of the show at any point. He was really the one thing that was missing that was a, a big part of the uh, – at least the latter-day show. L- yeah, late, later um, entourage. No, it's a weird uh, – the cameos are weird. It's really the, you know, the, the, the cream of young Hollywood. Saget, Spade, Ed O'Neill. Chad Lowe. Chad Lowe. That was the other thing. David I mean, the... effing Faustino. <laughs> Somehow with, it just – With it all seemed... due respect – I guess they blew I all their like, money on athletes, but yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean everyone who who popped up in this did so for free, I imagine. Just for the party. Um, a lot but of athletes. This, I think it's, I, I mean, th- partly I think it was to help market the movie because the trailers were all like, here are 35 people you recognize and, and possibly like, so why wouldn't you want to see them in this thing? Um, I and I think it's partly to, this. you know, I think you answered your question a little bit earlier when you said the people in the screening who who... Upon getting the pulse quickening rush of recognizing a famous person uh, playing themselves or some version of themselves up on that screen, went, Ooh, I know Grunk. Mm. Is Grunk hitting that beer bong? Um, <laughs> no Grunk was the best of the cameos. I will just go on the record saying that. He had some lines. Mark, Ca- Mark Cuban was probably the most frequent of the cameos. He was in about 15 times. Because you'll remember from the show, he's a co-investor in Avion Tequila with sure. Turtle. Um, oh, he he kind of helped save the deal, I believe. Uh, I mean, that's the sort of thing He doesn't thing get any lines, missing. though, in this one, Cuban. I think he has, like, one line. Anyways, yeah. I think of the screen, he has a line. It, it, it was, it was, the show was never a satire of Hollywood. It not started out trying to be one. It, and... It was, the first season or two, it had it was much more of a satire, and it quickly became a straight up celebration of everything. I think the aims were a little more satirical in the beginning. 
Um, and it just gave that up as they ran out of stuff, ideas, and they decided it's way more fun to make a show that's just, you know, a succession of high fives rather than some pokes in the ribs. Mm-hmm. Speaking of being poked in the ribs, uh, well, I don't even have a segue for that. It just, <laughs> it just reminds me of the pain I felt watching this movie being poked in the ribs. We'll be right back to talk about results. What are your goals? What, what do you think you're after? Well, you know, I mean, I, I got money. So uh, I can pay for whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, fine. that's fine. Yeah. I guess what I really want, what I, I just, I want to be able to take a punch. I want to be able to like. So boxing, yeah. Yeah, but so I'm not gonna get in the ring. I don't think. Like, say you hit me here or here, here, or right here. Just want to be able to take it without falling down or, or uh, you know puking or bleeding uh too much just yeah yeah um, does that make sense yeah of course that was a scene from andrew bujalski's results one of my favorite movies of the year it's basically about two personal trainers in austin texas and this guy who comes into guy pierce's gym uh the guy is played by kevin corrigan looking for a personal trainer or to get in shape um and reluctantly the guy pierce character his name is trevor sends his best trainer over to kevin corrigan's house she's played by Coldy, kobe smulders and nothing crazy happens but all of this wonderful stuff takes place and um i adore this movie and uh, it made me laugh and made me happy and it's very smartly done and it takes something that's very hard to do and pulls it off you guys watched it we did. i did i mean uh, I, yeah <laughs> we did together but we, separately we both have seen it yes uh there are some things in this movie that are i i just i watched it just thinking i, I just said to you off the off the air corrigan for best actor uh giovanni rubisi as the lawyer for best supporting actor that is my Oscar campaign. I'm starting it now. You never wage those, so this must mean something to you. I else. don't. I don't camp. Normally, I don't campaign, but uh, you know, I've F- gotten to him. FYC, fine young cannibals. Uh, Corrigan looks more like Harvey Pekar than Paul Giamatti did in the Harvey Pekar movie. Is, now that is, true. which is kind yes. of amazing. He's I like this is his. The, the, this might be his, the best he's been in a, a, a really long time. I really, really love this movie. There's a there's a bit with a yoga ball in this movie that just <laughs> <laughs> kind of made me fall on the floor. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just it's just really good. I mean, like Bujalski's just on a run. This is a, you know uh, right now. Um, but this one is somehow like it, it just it feels it feels bigger. It feels like it's sort of it's, he's you know really kind of inhabiting this genre in a real way without it being. It goes the I feel like the it's the last like minute is is sort of goes a little too rom com for me. But every other minute of the movie I really love. Andrew Bujalski being the director, the thirty eight year old director of such films as Funny Haha, which I think is kind of a masterpiece. It's his first movie came out in 2002 and mutual appreciation which came out the year after that um and uh beeswax uh perhaps his least successful movie as a as a movie and the computer chess which is completely unlike basically anything 
Um, and definitely unlike his other movies, which is also another kind of magnum opus of, in, the, in the smallest, most uh, intimately, mysteriously done possible way, um, which is that movie is set at a at a computer tournament um, or a, a computer chess tournament. Sorry. Um, in the early 80s. Mark, did you ever see that? You know, I have not seen that one. You should see it. It's that's really great. That is one that has been parked in my Netflix queue, taunting me, and I'm going to watch it now. Yeah, it's a really, that's a really good... It, that's a really good movie, but it's yeah, and this it, it's not like it's not like this at no. all. But it felt at the time I felt like oh, this is a real sort of expansion of what he does of what Bujalski oh, does yeah. in a lot of ways. I felt like you know, it's very it's still very small and very contained and very you know cheap looking because it looks like the eighties. It looks you know it's, it looks like uh, like it's shot on the yeah. You know, it felt to me like and I had said this to Wesley. Product. Wesley mentioned this in his review. That kind of slightly more mainstream uh, attack on his sensibility in the way that uh, Drinking Buddies was for mm-hmm. Joe Swanberg. You know, like a, a more recognizable actors, probably a little bit more accessible than the rest of their work or their earlier work. But, uh, yeah, this was great. And, you know, you cannot go wrong with the life goal of just see everything that Guy Pierce is in. Like, if Guy Pierce is in it, it is worth your time. He, he doesn't make junk. I was yeah, sometimes I was, he goes to space jail and then <laughs> then you have to go to space jail with him. Sometimes he opens a gym in Austin and you, you gotta go. I like to think that all the Guy Pierce characters are merely there's one ageless being that sort of goes through that whole thing. He is you know <laughs> like his Australian apocalypse life. It's just he's you know different you know different different ways ways of being. But yeah, and, no. Eventually he winds up on the spaceship uh, Prometheus. Yeah. Yeah, he's very he is very like, consistent and the, 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 yeah there is always I, I mean there's probably counter examples we can probably think of them if, if we sit here long enough but yeah he's he, I, I I believe in Guy Pierce and I you know this was uh, I I believed him as, uh, as as this guy well I mean I everything about this movie is believable to me everything about it works the 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 world it's set in works the I happen to like movies that take a chance on not being about anything important but are about people which is the most important thing um in human relationships which in american movies is hard to come by there's just aren't enough there aren't enough people taking the risk of writing characters whose entire arc is sort of created among a cast and um is really really dependent on a perceptive screenplay in order to set up set a story in motion because there's no real plot here it is it is basically what happens when people take risks in saying things to each other and expressing themselves emotionally and it doesn't go the way they want it to trevor's big goal is to open a gym that is bigger than the one he currently owns and it's sort of to have some sort of cultural foothold in the in the personal fitness universe and these are not large things for a movie to deal with but i mean you get the sense and part of the reward of this movie is that you get the you have the really strong feeling that these are things that are crucial to these characters and things that they want to realize and it's just i think it's just hard to make a movie like this i don't it doesn't happen that often which speaks to that um i also don't obviously they're not terribly commercial um, but this is an extremely watchable, very commercial movie that, you know, because it's distributed independently, doesn't have the money to sort of throw itself in people's faces. But um, 
It's really good. I think. It, did you guys watch it on demand? Is it on demand? It is. That's where I saw it. Yeah. Okay. I, I VOD'd as well. We're in that nice window now where the, uh, the Sundance movies are now starting to become available. They're getting small releases or they're getting on VOD, which is where I primarily get to see them these days. Uh, so, yeah, this was one of those. Yeah. I mean, I just – Kevin Corrigan is a genius. I mean, I didn't really appreciate that until this movie, but – I mean, there's something about the way Bujalski has written these parts so that each actor, I mean, and, and the, the the cast beyond Guy Pierce and, and um, Colby Smulders and, and Kevin Corrigan are also really good. But these three actors in particular, I mean, just the choices, these very small things they do, these choices, there's a point at which um, she tells Guy Pierce that she doesn't want to sleep with him anymore. And rather than sort of take the news and have a conversation about it, he grabs a pull-up bar and basically, like, turns himself upside down on it. It's just, I mean, that is how this guy relates to bad news. I mean, he just can't, he'd rather do something to his body than to actually process something with his brain. It's just, but he's not an idiot at the same time. I mean, you think about the way the Coens treat personal trainers in Burn After Reading, for instance. Yeah. Um, and the way Bujalski <laughs> treats them here and just the difference between those two professions. And I think Bujalski is I mean, I think in a weird way, both those movies take the jobs of personal trainers seriously. It's just that Bujalski also takes the personal trainers themselves seriously as human beings. And the mileage, the comedic mileage, I think, is a lot greater when you when you when you take that when you make that choice. Yeah, it's weird because everybody sort of starts out as a stereotype, and then you re- the, and then that gets expanded, and those things sort of those things sort of fall away, right? Because you expect Guy Pierce to be you know just this like hard job, I might you know like he's the you know tough guy or whatever, like he's sort you know or like not tough guy, but you know like a like a guy who runs a gym, like it's a you th- mm-hmm. and you think of Brad Pitt in Burn After Reading, you do. You know, and Kobe Smulders is very, it seems very type A and just sort of like she's like, you know, running around. And like then gradually, like you sort of find out who these people actually are. And there's layers that are more interesting. And Corrigan, too, like just seems like, you know, this schlub. But then, you know, sort of he becomes like the driving force of the movie in a lot of ways. Um, I just, uh, we may disagree on the definition of health is one of my favorite lines <laughs> in the movie this year. <laughs> also, I just want to say like one other thing that I really appreciate the organic in story rocky montage that actually has a reason to be there that like oh would yeah really, yeah that would really happen in the course of which guy pierce has an entire relationship but like in the you know also like that you literally there's a training montage that like makes sense and like is not just something that somebody put in there as a beat and like a reason to have a song um, um the sex in that montage is also <laughs> Yeah, no, we can't. We can't spoil. I don't want. I, this is something I. I don't mind spoiling things about the Entourage movie, but I can't. There's a. The, yeah. The, well, that movie came spoiled. It yeah. was already past its sell-by date by the time you got it, so there was no. There's nothing to spoil. Entourage. Here, smell this. This movie that, is that felt like super a gratuitous fresh. shot at the Entourage movie. We're talking about something completely different now. You think that was that's over the line? <laughs> that yeah. the, we found the line. But didn't we also have the crossover of uh, Constant Zimmer? <laughs> oh, she's the real yeah. estate agent in results. She's she? so much better in this movie. I'm on a real uh, constant Zimmer jag at the moment because we had Entourage. You know, she plays Dana Gordon. If you don't know, the uh, the studio chief Ari Gold, ex girlfriend. Uh, she's in this as the real estate agent, right? That sells him the larger gym space, or yep. is in the process of selling him the larger yes. gym space. Yep. Not to spoil anything about that. 
Uh, she is also, I mean, I don't want to sidetrack this, but just a quick little shout out. She's in this fantastic new show on Lifetime called Unreal, which is a behind the scenes kind of dark comedy about the, the, what goes into making a show like The Bachelor. And it's, it's great. It's genuinely a great is it? show. I've seen it ads is. for it, but I haven't it bothered is. to watch it's it. It's really well done. The second one was on last night. Um, we, we can bring this back around to whatever, but I had to shout her out. She she plays the producer of the uh, the very 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 thinly veiled bachelor show stand in on that and it's uh it's awesome. Constant Zimmer killing it. Oh, all right. Well, I mean, I know it's a Marty Knoxon show. I kind of like it is, yeah. Marty Knoxon and Sherry Appleby. Anytime. Yep, she does she's the things. she's the other star. Yeah, she's I'm totally into that. But this movie, you guys, if you haven't seen it, please if see it again. I've seen it. I've seen it three times. I'm not ashamed to admit it. It's one of my favorite movies. I will be watching it again because I'll be making my wife watch it. I was just... Did you guys think about broadcast news at all when you watched it? Am I crazy? Did I make just that Just in up? the love train? Or James L. Brooks or something? like It's sort of that kind of movie. Sure. Me. No, I mean, I think of that, you know, I thought of that a lot. But just anytime you have, like, the, you know, the, the, the handsome guy and the, you know, that's, a, that's, a, <laughs> that's an archetype for me. That just, that I just, I just kind of go there. Like a handsome guy in a love triangle with a less attractive man in a, in a pretty determined type A yeah. woman? No, exactly. I mean, I feel like that, that, that sort of, you know, totally. That's there. Yeah. That's yeah, it's I mean, pretty I, directly there, I think. Well, I admire that as well. It's just another reason I love this movie. Um, that's Results. Yeah, and, and Anthony Michael Hall. And Anthony Michael and Hall. And a cameo not to be missed. Not not to be missed. You'll have you'll have to see the movie to find out what he actually yeah, let's does. Not spoil that. But it's but it's worth it's worth seeing for that. Um, Mark, thanks for coming and talking to us. You could stay if you want. We're, we're not Sharing throwing you out for for not having seen <laughs> Love and Mercy. But I feel like I won't have much to add to that conversation except punctuating certain things with Oh yeah, <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> Brian Wilson. I will say that oh, there was. Yeah. I will. The, I, there were moments I saw the, the. I. I don't know why this was the case, but there was definitely. Well, I know why it was the case because of the movie that it was. But there were definitely dudes in my theater who were reacting to specific bits of Beach Boys lore the way that the bros in an Entourage movie <laughs> would. There's just different kinds of bros, you know. They're like fans are like fans, shades, you know. Bros, fans are fans. Men are men. Bros are bros. Uh, that definitely like people be like you could hear people. People elbowing their neighbor, like that's that's uh, that's uh, Van Dyke Parks. He uh, he wrote all the lyrics. For, uh, <laughs> I did that and, uh, at the moment when the uh, Ari Gold paint gun sh- was mounted on his wall, which was a plot point in, uh, I believe, season five. Um, like, Mark, that paint, that's, the, that's the paint gun, guys. <laughs> You're missing that. Sorry. You may as well just stick around. I guess now we'll be right go. back. I gotta go. We're gonna talk about <laughs> thanks, mercy. guys. Hey, will you take the boat in really close to shore? I want to show Melinda my house. Go ahead and pass the kill. Sure thing. Whatever makes you happy, Brian. All right, on the count of three, I want you to get up. I want you to jump on the water and I want you to come over to my house. <laughs> what? Right what? You ready? Come Are you on. serious? Yeah, let's do it. Just ditch this and make all the two of these. In or out? Come on. In. One, two, three. <laughs> um... I really wish I could have joined them in that in the water off that boat. That's a scene from Love and Mercy, John Cusack and Elizabeth Banks. He plays Brian Wilson. She plays Melinda Ledbetter. 
not sure. Is this an actual woman? Do you know? I feel like you would know this yeah. better than I would. She's yeah. a car salesman. He goes in to buy a car. They may have, comes out with her. Yeah, they may have fudged some some, uh, some a few details, but uh, there is the, the, they they really did. Uh, there really was a Melinda, or is. Well, God bless her for putting up with Gene Landy. Is all I can say about that. Yeah, um, one of the sort of great villains, Eugene Landy. Two of Rock's great villains uh, are in this movie. Or just oh, can I guess the other? Oh, 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 in this movie. Kim, Kim. Wait, isn't he the other one? Kim Fowley? No, Mike Kim Love, Fowley? man. Mike Love? Yeah. The, oh. the, Mike Love he is the man. Come off as so much a villain in this movie. I know, well, yeah, but he's the guy who. I mean, look, it's obviously like this is a you know, this being a you know. Rock he is my favorite performance, by the way. That <laughs> he is, actor, he is pretty good. I don't know who that Jake is. Jake Abel plays Mike Love. He's really good. Yeah, he does. Anyway, go on. But I mean, he's the guy. Mike Love is the guy who rejects pet sounds and ultimately yes. smile, and is the guy who who is le- kind of leads the revolt within the Beach Boys against Brian's innovations, and kind of you know. This movie would have you believe, and you know this, the, the the mythology would have you believe, sort of breaks Brian Wilson's heart, and he's never the same. Although there's also a lot of acid involved, uh, that, yes. uh, that he's also never the same because of all the LSD, and you know. But you know the core, it all goes back to Murray Wilson, Brian's dad, uh, an abusive slave driver. Who also did not believe in him, and also did not believe in the innovations that he was pulling off with Pet Sounds and his chasing of the Beatles and all that stuff, and just thought he should go back to writing songs about cars and surfing. It's weird to watch a movie like this because it's so like you all know if you're in a theater like I was, full of people who are like, "Oh, that's uh, that's a uh, Hal Blaine who play the drums and the Wrecking Crew." You know, like there's like guys <laughs> who are really into it, dudes, dudes and their Beach Boys obsessions. I can make fun right. of them because I'm one of them. Uh, if you if you are one of those people, it's such a foregone conclusion that like, you you know that history will vindicate the characters that you're watching. You know you, that it will vindicate Brian Wilson, and like, you know, so you're watching people say things like, you know, oh yeah, th- this pet sounds. I don't know what are these pets. I don't, th- even the happy songs <laughs> are sad. What's with this llama? What's going on? And then obviously it goes on to be one of the you know most uh, highly regarded albums ever made. And all that. So did this work for you or not? Well, look, what I'm alluding to, I think, is that Uh there no. I mean, there are things about this story that are kind of for me sort of as a as a really big fan of specifically of this of this period, this kind of right before the crack up and actually after the crack up, too. I like a lot of that post crack up Beach Boy stuff, too. But as a big fan of that era, there's things that kind of bypass the faculties and I just get excited because they do the one thing that's re- like they do recreate that time really well. And it's a sort of magical time in music that they've sort of, you know, that you and you get as someone who is predisposed to be like, Oh, that's Carol Kay, like playing bass, like all that, you know, the moment when he sort of Brian walks into the studio and taps on a kettle drum and he, he taps the, like I'm waiting for the day beat, like the boom, mm-hmm. boom, 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 just kind of casually, like just to mm-hmm. hear what the kettle drum sounds like. And he's just getting excited. That stuff works for me and made me excited and did the the things that it's supposed to do and sort of, you know, but eventually it does just go to a very biopicky place. And there's a lot of people kind of saying things that are read like, you know, bad rock magazine copy, you know, 
like you have that scene with Hal Blaine where he sits or the, the, hanging out outside the studio with Brian. He's like, "You, we played with all the best. Have you, have you seen in the trailer? He's like, you know, we played with Sinatra. We played with the, you know, this we played this guy. You're you're touched by genius, man. Don't ever let anybody you know tell you that." Um, yeah, that's true. It I turns mean, into oh. there was a Beach Boys movie made for VH1, and it kind of goes to that place. The difference being, you also have this latter day story with Cusack as the damaged adult man-child Brian Wilson, who's in many ways the one that we still kind of live with, although he's you know he's a lot healthier than he is in in this movie now. Uh, I don't know. So yeah, eventually I, I kind of uh, you know it. It, it falls apart for me. I like Giamatti a lot. Giamatti has not been this loathsome since the uh, private parts, basically. And I, you know, I, Twelve I Years a Slave, I would say, is probably. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> it's true. The that guy, might... Murray Wilson's in Twelve Years a Slave, too, right? Yes. Yeah. He's, the, he's like, he's the jailer. He's sort of the, you know, anybody yeah. associated with that movie will forever kind of care. You know, you could. Yeah. Paul Dano. Also in Twelve Years a Slave. Wow. Um, I'm with you. I get that. I mean, the 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 stuff, the recording of Pet Sounds. One of the things that I mean, we've talked about this a little bit. How I how I object to this type of movie, kind of on principle. So my bar for what I'll put up with is very high. Um, this movie, and often what's missing from these movies is the creative spirit. Right? You get all the sort of trouble the person was went through, and the drugs, and the women, mm-hmm. and the depression and the bipolar and the, you know, can't walk, can't talk, can't see, can't breathe, can't think for obs- I mean, all of the sort of oppressive and yet he creates. But we never see the creative process. And few of these movies actually bring that to life. This is one of the rare movies that not only person, I mean, it, it not only um, implies that a person is a genius because someone comes along and says, you know, dude. You, you're a man, you're a genius. It finds a way. The director is Bill Pollard, um, and it was written by Oren Moverman and Michael A. Lerner. They find a way with their crew. I mean, the sound design for this movie is impeccable. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really, they, really good. They find a way to visualize and dramatize what is going on in Brian Wilson's head. And you get this real sense of how a mo- how an album like Pet Sounds comes to be. I mean, look, the acid probably helped, right? But I think the movies, the movies, the thing that should be most important for a movie that wants to tell the story of a person like Brian Wilson is you have to make an audience, especially an audience that wasn't there when Pet Sounds came out, that wasn't, that isn't familiar with the sound. Like, what on earth is so special about this? Um, why on earth is this, is this such a iconic, you know, groundbreaking historic musical achievement? And this movie really does put that across. I mean, the way it turns that creative process into a form of surrealism is, is wonderful. Um, and the, so, I mean, when you have when when a film is able to do that, to then watch it turn into a, like a movie of the week in its other half, is kind of exasperating to me. I don't want to I don't want to spend one more minute with 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 that version of Brian Wilson. 
Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there's it, it does lose something when it goes to that place. It it also I don't, yeah, movie of the week is a good is a good description. It just goes flat in a way that the the '60s stuff is not. Um, I don't know. And there's the whole the, the whole bit with the maid. <laughs> oh man. No, I mean, there's, it just keeps getting worse it gets, and gets worse kind of, and worse. And then they bring, and then they, they bring out. I, I, I'm, I'm forgetting her name now. Although she's mentioned in the, 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 the crawl, the title cards at the end, where it explains what happened to everybody. But you know, she's just, it's just like the, it's a thankless part where she just, you know, sort of like she has to talk about Eugene Landy and how he's not good, and she has to say he's more local than Mister Brian. Like it's just really, <laughs> really. Really, I just, I just I, can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. No, it's true. No, but yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like because that's what's frustrating about it because they do, the things that are you know they get the music right. Which you're you're right. They get the music right, which these movies often don't. But there's just other problems that arise, you know, in that sort of Cusack section. Did you like Cusack? No, I think it. I I I mean I hesitate to say, I hesitate to say so because I'm always rooting for the best for this man. But this is one of the more embarrassing things I've seen an actor do in some time. I must, I must say. Um, it did not. I mean, I, I, and you know, it's funny because he's so exposed. It's a hard. You, there's no way for a movie to disguise an actor not working in a part like this. Like he's just completely exposed because the thing that Brian Wilson, this sort of catatonia that Brian Wilson existed in for so long, on on these drugs. It's just an impossible thing to act. I mean, so is being on acid, but at least then, like, it's a kind of drug and people kind of get it. It's an impossible thing to to act over medicated in a way that is not like a like a a recreational drug. Um, so he's sort of forced to like you know be in a stupor the whole movie. And I don't know. I'm not an actor. I don't know. That's a hard thing to do. Actors have done a really good job with that. Um, I mean, I don't know why Robert De Niro in Awakenings is the first performance that comes to mind. But, I mean, that is a performance that actually captures Catatonia <laughs> in as vivid a way as you possibly can. But also, Penny Marshall is an actor's director. And, you know, she can get amazing things out of people that you just wouldn't expect. And, and I don't know if this is the right filmmaker for that kind of character i don't know but you definitely need a director who understands what it means to have an actor left exposed is the only way i can ex describe what cusack is up to and you know it's not as if elizabeth banks it's not as though it's she as an actress can do something to sort of alleviate that that risk that he's taking i mean he's taking a huge risk this part um but no, I'm I'm I left I left I watched the movie in embarrassment for him, um, mostly because I just think it, that that half of the movie is badly directed. Yeah, no, I agree. I and I yeah I I, I also still kind of root for the Cusack Assance to be to be happening, and I felt like you know I saw Maps to the Stars and really liked it, and I thought he was he was great, and I was like oh okay he's like gonna try again, and like this is trying he's trying he's something. definitely trying. It's I a, mean he's giving it. That's the other thing hard. that's embarrassing, yeah. right? Like he's giving it everything he's got. Yeah, it's just not really. It's yeah. It's it, you know. It's just thankless. It's just not happening. He just 
separate. He's putting it. He's putting all of that work into a into a part that, by necessity, is a is a sort of emotional black hole. Well, it's hard because it's like if you've seen interviews with the present day Brian Wilson, if you've ever gone to see Brian Wilson play, it's that's you know there there this is not far from reality, but it's sort of it's a hard thing to perform. But at the same right. time, like there is like there's a there's a weird you know there's there's a there's something there with the actual in the actual Brian Wilson that's that you know that is that is not present and this just sort of this just seems like you know yeah he's like in that real cusack kind of you know sad sack mode you know that's oh. it becomes a, it, it eventually just becomes a collection of sort of cusackian ticks rather than wilsonian right but yeah sound design man Attic, shout to atticus ross i really i think a lot of this is like because like, a lot of his score too right like did he not, do it he did this he's credited with the score and i assume that that means there's a lot of stuff in this movie where you will hear kind of what Brian's hearing. You will see Paul mm-hmm. Dano sort yeah. of squ- yeah. squinting and kind of pulling things out of the, out of space and trying to because he's got you know the the conceit is in the reality. He's got all this in his head, right? And he's just trying to get it out. And he's that's the frustration that he goes through trying to make it happen. Yeah, um, yeah. that's really. I mean, I mean, when I think about things I enjoyed in movies I did not enjoy, that is that is. I mean, to find this beautiful thing in this otherwise turd like movie um is you know that's special i mean again if this movie had just been 50 minutes or like an entire movie just about the making of pet sounds bravo um because even the hackneyed stuff with the with the with the family at the you know all those dinner meal all those meal uh all that abuse at the at the dinner table sort of stuff um you know I, i didn't buy that either but i mean i was willing to put up with it because I believed I believed in some ways it was there for a reason you know and and the idea of music as a retreat and you know this guy as an artist I felt like the suffering had to be apparent in some way um and I I was willing to put up with it I couldn't deal with the other stuff though yeah it's tough it's 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 tough I mean I guess but you need a happy ending on there you can't sort of like the end of the pet sounds period is sort of disastrous and you you know you you need to come out the other side i don't know i think you just take the risk i think i mean look if you're gonna let john cusack take that risk you've got to have something that really redeems him and the performance but there's just nothing there there's nothing there but like a postscript and that's not that never makes an actor look good yeah i wonder how you Oh, sorry. Go on. No, no I'm, I have no more deep thoughts about this. Uh, it just, makes uh, you wonder what. Yeah. If it, if that had been, what if that had been like the wraparound rather than its own half a movie distributed evenly? Like, well, if, then people the would have been, been would have felt cheated by the fact that there wasn't more John Cusack. I guess. I guess some. People you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if yeah, I mean, it's a lo- look. It's a lose. This structure is a losing proposition if you've cast a person like John Cusack. If you cast somebody that you've never heard of before, like or like somebody lesser, like someone less famous and less important to more to as many people, like you cast a. I mean, I can't even think of somebody, but like somebody who's not John Cusack. I don't know. I mean, you might have been able to get away with that, but you've got this guy who probably really wanted to, you know, was like, hey, I can do this for you. Um, but I mean, I don't I can't think of many actors who could have. So there's also that um, we should you should tell me what your jam is. I, <laughs> I don't have one. You don't have a jam? I don't have a jam. I thought we were going to talk about the JVXX and we blew through the JVXX 
uh, in the intro, which didn't, which uh, I was unprepared for. We are jamless. I'm jamless. I didn't read the book. Everything. You know, you've got a lot going on in your life. I've got things. I've got things going on. I uh, you do. I mean, it's I'm we're not going to hold it against you. You'll pick a jam next week. I'm solo dad this week and I I got my kid to school at 840. So (laughs) F all y'all. You can find your own jam. I got her there on time. We're going to go out of the Jamie XX songs. Uh, Joe Fuentes, you're great. Excellent producer. Sorry we kept you over this week. Uh, Mark Lasanti, thanks for coming to hang out. Um, Dave Jacoby, you're the best. And happy birthday, Grantland. You turned four this week. Bill Simmons, you put a great thing together. We're still doing it. Happy birthday, Grantland. And uh, Alex, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.